Um, call forward, uh, and that's what I said last time too. It wasn't former. I call. I will call forward um, the pastor, Reverend Hank Vanderward, a minister in the United Reformed Church. Grace, the name of that in in Leduc. So thank you very much for coming. Thank you, Julius. I want to express my appreciation for the conference that has been put on by Emmanuel Canadian Reformed Church and uh, Reverend Julius Fence Bronson, who kindly invited me also to come and speak here this, this, uh, this morning. Still, it is. It's not afternoon yet. And uh, so I'm very pleased to be here. I have to confess that uh, um, this uh, thing about deacons is something that maybe I'm not all that familiar with, but we'll see how it goes this morning. Um, I also wanted to take note of the text that has been given to us uh, earlier this morning, that uh, when you look at how Joshua came into the land, uh, I think it's seven times that the Lord comes to him, at least that those are the recorded moments where the Lord comes to him and says, you know, have courage, do not be afraid. And at one point in that text, he actually says, have I not commanded you? Right? As in, what's the matter with you? So we have every confidence that the Lord provides for us when we are uh, taking on the office. I was going to tell you that uh, I can hardly wait to hear what I've got to say, but that's really not uh, probably too appropriate. I'm going to do this from a, a slide presentation because this helps me to keep my thoughts together and uh, um, kind of work my way through. First of all, there are, we also know that there are other offices in the church, right? You can say amen. Yeah? All right? This is not church. All right? I, to, I promised them I would mix this up a little bit. I have uh, 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 been part of every one of these offices. I have a little bit of experience in the office. The unofficial offices of the church include custodian, usher, treasurer, uh, the organist or pianist, and critic or fault finder. The critic one is to my shame. Uh, there are two ways of being a critic. One is a wholesome way, and one is to be mean. And uh, I confess that uh, there have been times where I've just been plain mean. And that's not being kind to the ministers that I sat under. And uh, I trust that what we heard last night about being a critic does not include the mean variety. These I have uh, all participated in, so I consider myself somewhat of an expert when it comes to uh, an office holder in the church. There is another office that also is part of the church. It's called the mysterious office. Yeah? Right? She frequently has a way more to say. It's mysterious. I have not had that office, but I am very well acquainted with somebody who does hold that office. Now, that's what it looks like on the ground. All right? And the official offices of the church, we could look, divide them out through two different ways. One is Lord's Day 12, which lists the offices as office priest of... of, of uh, uh, prophet, priest, and king, that Lord's Day 12, or deacon, elder, minister. I've held the office of elder for a number of terms, about 12 years altogether, four or eight of them in a back-to-back -back term of four years each. So I've sat in that particular office, and I've been a minister in the minister's office for only about 
10 years now, so I probably don't have a whole lot to say about that. The deacon, I've never actually been in that office. So what on earth am I doing up here talking about it? Now, when these offices work together, it looks like this. It's a beautiful thing. When they don't work together, it looks like this. Now, we get down to the scripture. We saw this text. I'm not going to read it uh, again. We saw it last night. It was brought to our attention last night. Uh, we're well acquainted with specifically the uh, biblical directive for deacon. And so I'm, I leave that to you. You've read it before. Those of us who've been deacons, I'm sure we almost have it memorized. And if not, you probably ought to. There's another text that uh, comes to bear on this is Act 6. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven wise men of good repute, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And so the administration of charity, which is basically what the deacon office contains, is to be done by men who are of good repute, who have the spirit, and who are wise. That's what the scripture calls to us. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to break this out a little bit for our uh, specific attention to a number of different details that come to bear. Now, our church order, Canadian Reformed Church order, I pulled this off the website, I trust that you know it, but basically the specific duties of the Office of Deacon and then it lists them there. I Again, I'm not going to do too much reading, but you know what those are, you brothers of the Canadian Reformed Church. I trust I don't have to read you your own church order. The Canadian, uh, sorry, the URCNA church order reads as follows, and that's the Article 15. And again, I am not going to do any particular kind of work within those two church orders. I'm going to blend them together because there's a marvelous document that was put together about 10 years ago, and it's called Article 15 of the Joint Proposed Church Order and this is a church order that I believe was essentially adopted by both the Canadian Reformed Churches and at least unofficially by the URCNA. But what it does is it basically pulls together nicely, I think, the various components of what it is a deacon ought to look like. And that's what I want to work through. So without reading again the church order, these are the things that are in that list. They're all action words or verbs, if you will, or basically require us to be doing stuff, supervising, acquainting, exhorting, gathering, distributing, continuing, encouraging, considering, meeting, and rendering. And uh, we're going to go through each one of those very, very briefly. So, first of all, supervising. What does that look like? Well, supervising is, is essentially taking charge of something, isn't it? Being in charge, having some authority, and you are supervising particularly the works of the Christian ministry mercy in the congregation. There's something that and, uh, I was going to say up front, and that is, is that perhaps I'm going to try to take one of your sacred cows to slaughter here this morning. And that has to do with the fact that what I'm trying to do this morning is recover, in some cases, the office of deacon. And I mean recovering because um, I promised my brother, uh, one of my elders last Sunday, that I would, I would probably use his line this morning. And so I'm going to do that. We were talking about nomination of office bearers, and he said something to the effect of, once an elder, you never go back. I said, I'm going to use that. Because there's a tendency on our part to nominate office bearers in the, in the office of the deacon, essentially, that are younger men, possibly never have served in office before. 
who have very little experience in, those, in that regard. They're family men, they maybe have young children, they may have just uh, got married for all we know. Uh, various different types of, uh, in that, but in that age group, particularly the deacon seems to be more located than let's say somebody who's served two or three or four terms as an elder and now goes to be a deacon. And yet those offices stand side by side as I trust you agree, but then practically, how does that work when we work that out in the congregation? And there may be an elder or two, myself included, who needs to repent for having taken away some of these tasks that properly belong in the office of the deacon and, and, and placing them on their own shoulders or assuming them as part of their task. And that would be including the supervising of the works of the Christian mercy in the congregation. Because supervision requires authority. Supervision means that you have uh, been designated to be in charge of something. And when you put somebody in charge of something, you have to let them do their job. And you can't then be second-guessing them or taking away from them certain portions of whatever it is they require. It's a form of delegation, if you will. And that's what Acts 6 also refers to. The elders there or the apostles delegated to then the first office of deacon various different tasks. Interestingly enough, I think it was Stephen, wasn't it? Stephen is a deacon of the seven that were, were, were nominated, right? Doesn't he baptize somebody? Interesting, isn't it? Right? We have a deacon baptizing. What's that all about? I'm not going there. Two. Acquainting themselves with congregational needs. Well, that's also fairly self-explanatory because acquainting oneself with various needs means that we need to gain understanding, knowledge of the congregation we serve in. We need to understand, first of all, who are the needy people. We need to understand what need is in and of itself, especially in our, our society today where need can be as little as I couldn't go shopping this morning to... I can't pay my rent, or I don't have food in my cupboard, or, either, or other kinds of need. It doesn't necessarily even need to be a financial need. So what are the needs in the congregation? The deacon is charged with acquainting themselves with this. Exhorting members of the congregation to show mercy. So now we're into a mode of teaching or a mode of uh, calling upon membership within our congregation to participate in the work of the deacon. That doesn't mean the deacon necessarily needs to do this themselves. This means that the deacon mobilizes members of the congregation to show mercy in whatever form has been uh, determined as needed in that particular congregation. So basically, here's a, a teaching moment for deacons to be uh, engage not simply in passing the bag on a Sunday morning, as, and as you're going to see as we go through this, a much more practical but also a, a, a much higher level of, of responsibility that deacons are required to show. So exhorting members, what does that mean? It can mean a number of different things, but it's a, certainly a, a teaching time to the, to the members of the congregation. That may also, by the way, include the eldership. They are also members of the congregation. Gathering and managing the offerings of God's people in Christ's name. So that's a gathering aspect, and that is, of course, uh, how do we collect, but also how do we manage. 
And there are a number of ways in which one is able to do that. We don't uh, just simply collect and then we'd, we'll worry about it after or somebody else will take care of whatever it is that we have collected or we hand it off to the treasurer, it's his problem, or some such thing. The treasurer comes under the purview, I suggest, of the deacon. Not of the elder, by the way, in my humble opinion. Gathering and managing is a big deal. So we're not just gathering. We're not just uh, passing the bag. We're not just uh, counting and maybe even handing out uh, uh, tax-deductible donation receipts or having some knowledge of what the participation of the congregation is. We're managing it. What does that mean? Well, that may mean that you know where it's going to go. And you've actually carefully determined where it's going to go. We'll come back to that in a while. I have a practica kind of uh, second part to this. Distributing these offerings according to needs. Now we're not only gathering and managing, now we are in the distribution mode, and we're doing this based on a certain kind of need, whatever that might be. And again, this requires wisdom, this requires knowledge, this requires understanding, this requires uh, hard work to gain that level of of, of competence so that one can, can actually do this appropriately, of course, before God. How do we make these kinds of decisions becomes part of that. It's a deacon role. Continuing in prayer, I don't know the Canadian Reformed Church order very well. I know that the United Reformed Church order requires this in all of the offices. This particular issue, continuing in prayer, is common to the office of minister, is common to the office of elder, and common to the office of deacon. It's been dealt with by Reverend Slump. It will be something that needs to be common in the men who serve in the office. They are continuing in prayer. They are prayerfully before the Lord. They are uh, uh, Christian men who are dedicated to the Lord, seeking to serve Him through this office, a ministry of mercy in the case of the deacon. Continuing in prayer, then we encourage and we comfort with the word of God those who receive the gifts of Christ's mercy. And here lies a, a little bit of a problem sometimes. We can get into places where we are not necessarily doing, we are perhaps doing one, but we're not doing the other. And the other is, first of all, we can be uh, giving people gifts uh, out of Christ's mercy. So, you know, somebody, I, I've seen this once, and I thought it was, at the time, very strange and terrible. The deacon, uh, two deacons are writing out a check on the consistory room um, table after the after worship service is over. Quick, 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 hurry up. And Mrs. So-and-so, who is uh, receiving from the deacons, their, her annual check gets a check. Boom, there you go. Nothing went with it. They didn't sit down with her. They, maybe they did otherwise, but to my knowledge, they didn't do much of that. Here's a check. Every month she got a check. But there was no word of God to go with it. There was no, we'll visit you this afternoon between services, and we're going to help you, and we're going to monitor how you're doing, and we're going to see how this particular gift uh, uh, builds you up not only in, in your ability to, to s supply for your family and your welfare, but also builds you up in faith. So it's a, it's a combination of the two. So how is a deacon actually going to do that is something that we'll come to in a little while. But it's a, it's a task as called for within 
I, I trust you agree within the church order, and, and if, if it isn't specifically listed in your church order, I trust that you will agree with me that this is not something that uh, a deacon ought not to do. I would be interested in, in a challenge on, on any of these 10 points. Needs of those outside the congregation, especially of other believers, should also be, be, be considered. So here the consideration goes perhaps beyond the church to how do we extend Christian mercy to other Christian brothers and sisters, and how do we, how, and, and ought we to do that? What, how will that work for this particular congregation that I serve in to, to extend that ministry of mercy past the church walls into the Christian community beyond these church walls? Is there a need there? Can we participate in that? And how ought we to do that? And this will, of course, change from church to church. All I'm doing here is I'm listing some of the conditions or some of the requirements that deacons ought to keep in mind as they do their task as office bearers. Meet ordinarily once a month to transact the business of their office. We have sort of rules in our churches. I'm sure that deacons are to meet regularly it's ordinarily once a month. Pick, pick your time frame. If it's every two weeks, if every two months, you're not going to hear me argue. But there's a regular checking together, consulting together on the, on the, uh, um, the deacon diaconia, if you will, of the church. And then lastly, render a regular account of their work to the consistory. And that's basically, at the end of the day, the, the elders rule the church. I would consider that you know, elders would like to say, well, you know, my, my office is more superior than yours. It's just, it's just a shift in authority. It's like husband and wife. The, the father is, the husband is the head of the household. But there's, there, one, would one say that she doesn't have any authority? In some senses, she has more authority, perhaps. And so there's, there's this, if you will, kind of a marriage between the two deacon and elder offices and the minister, for that matter, when it comes to uh, the work of the consistory. And as you saw from my little picture in the front, if they work well together, then amazing things can happen. So these are, these are the, uh, uh, reg the, the working words within the church order or within the, the guidelines, if you will, of how a church is to operate. I've lost track of time already. How long have I got left? I'm having so much fun, I can't remember. We're good? How much time do I need? Well, then I'm just going to carry on. All right, so when we do this in the practica, when we put boots to the ground, what happens? Well, we expect a certain level of knowledge on the part of the deacon when it comes to his office and the responsibilities that he has. And that is not just simply, I show up in church, I sit in the consistory room, perhaps I don't even do that, I don't know what, what your practices are, uh, and, 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 and we pass a collection bag around. And I'm not trivializing the church, the, the, the office of, that, uh, of the deacon in that case, but I'm simply suggesting there's far more, and, and, and there's a robust deacon net that I'm really trying to chase down here and encouraging you to think larger than sometimes our tradition has, has stifled, if you will, this office of deacon. Perhaps not in your church. Perhaps not in any of our churches, but I, I've, I've come across it, and I think it's a concern. So the deacon office is to say, how, what, what should we know? Well, we should first of all know what it is and means when I am a deacon, and I've just given you 10 things that are distinctives as opposed to the office of the elder. 
Take those 10 things, work them through. I'm a supervisor. I, we, I, I, I distribute. I collect and manage. I, and, and, and away you go. I'm aware of the resources that are available within my congregation, and we are deploying them in the name of the Lord. And that will vary from church to church based on the needs, based on the resources, and based on the personhood of the deacons involved. Because the Lord uses us in our own weak state, doesn't he? And each of us, as ministers too, we all have a different style, we have a different emphasis, we have a different preaching way, we have a different pastoring way, and the Lord amazingly uses these weak vessels for his purpose also within the offices. So, the deacon, what are you supposed to know? Well, the deacon office is distinct. I can see the differences. I know what some of them are. The deacon fund can be used for the following purposes. What does this fund actually do? What should it do? And again, there are going to be resources that we can chase down. I'm taking the 30,000 foot kind of approach to this. I'm not asking, I, I, it's difficult for me to get, just get in. I mean, we could probably spend 20 minutes on, you know, these are the different nuances of a deacon fund. But the deacon fund basically is a fund that is geared towards the needy. I'm separating that from the general fund, which is generally based, well, generally, obviously, is an, a fund that takes care of the overall expenses of the congregation, mortgage payments, building costs, all, man, uh, the, the minister's salary, and so on. So there's a general fund generally, and that may be more cumulatively administered. The elders may be involved in that to some extent. And then there's the deacon fund, which I humbly submit is really at the purview of the deacon. That's the Ministry of Mercy Fund. What are we doing with this? What's a legitimate uh, way of using it? What are illegitimate ways of using it? And those things need to be developed by the, by the deacons uh, together and perhaps approved by the elders if you surround yourself with wise counselors. The reason the deacons are part of the council are, so we split out the council. I heard it earlier. We have consistory, that's elders. We have deacons, and then we have something called council. And sometimes as deacons, we participate in the work of the council. I don't know the Canadian Reformed rules too much, but you'll see in our church order from this, the URC that the council will be mentioned, and then there's various functions, including things like nominations and the like. And I, I think the Canadian Reformed churches have a similar type of approach. The, you allow the deacons to participate in nomination of office bearers. And, so there are, there are similarities there. Uh, we're not here to take apart and, and uh, exegete church order all that much. But why am I, as a deacon, in the council anyway? What are my responsibilities there? What do I leave for the elders to do? And where do I take back what some of the elders seem to want to do? Say, no, wait a minute, that's the deacon function, guys. There's the wall, right? You want to supervise, Mr. Elder? Nah, -uh, that's my job, right? You want to manage the gifts of God's people? Ah, -uh, that's my job. In as much as as a deacon, it would be unconscionable on my part to think that as a deacon, I could exercise discipline. That would be wrong. You wouldn't get a deacon up on the pulpit reading the form for excommunication. It's a very clear delineation of role. And so this vice versa ought to also apply to the deacon. 
reasons the deacons are a part of the council are, list them, articulate them. It helps you to come to understand and crystallize what it is my job is as a deacon. Financial assistance is only available when accompanied by the word. True or false, right? Is that true for our congregation? Is it going to be the lady who is going to stand at the church door who's, who come from the neighborhood and says, where's my check? It doesn't show up in church. I remember uh, 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 getting phone calls when I was in, in Trinity Lethbridge. They would phone the church, call forwarded it to my house. And it would be somebody who couldn't pay their rent from the community. What do I do with that? Pass them on to a deacon. What does the deacon do? Well, he brings her $300 or whatever it is. But what does he do? Does he sit and pray with her? One deacon had the smart idea to say, well, I'll meet you after church. Come to church at 10. I'll meet you a quarter after 10. Uh, quarter after 11, I mean, when the church service is over. And then we'll discuss your needs. She never showed up. And you have to be able, so, so there, the word, the ministry of mercy comes with the word of God. Without the word of God, it's neutered. And it's no different than Joe Schmo off the street cutting a check for some charitable cause because he's feeling generous that day. How would you minister to a church member? I have to have some idea of how to do that. Maybe you as deacons want to walk through a role play sometime. Sit down on, at a deacon meeting and say, okay, you're going to be the needy person, and you're going to come up with all kinds of weird things that we've heard over the years, and here's a deacon who's going to train to know how to do that. We should do that, and we do that sometimes. We take young rookie elders along on family visits. We, this is how we do it. Right? Well, maybe we need to help deacons with that as well so that we don't get just dumped into the deep end. I remember being an elder the first time around, dumped into the deep end. I had a marvelous mentor elder helping out who took me on family visits. I love the man to this day. He taught me things uh, I would never have otherwise known, some things that are now unique to me. Uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you one. My elder says, Hank, never go to the church. Never go to a visit and take your Bible. Why do you have to take a Bible? They all have Bibles. They got multiple Bibles. And if you ask them for their Bible, you'll find out more about them than you'll ever do in 15 minutes or 20 minutes of asking them for their spiritual life. Right? And I come to people's houses and I ask, where's your Bible? We can't find it. They couldn't find it. Can you, are you kidding me? Really? And he was complain, complaining about everything under the sun. Couldn't find his Bible. You know, when I went to the deacon, to the elders with, I said, don't pay attention to this guy. He's got a spiritual problem. Never mind the paint on the walls and the color of the carpet and all whatever it was he was complaining about. He was one of those mean church critics, right? Couldn't find his Bible. And then other people, you come and the, the Bible's worn out. How old is this Bible? Seven years. I need a new one. And his thumb, this is a man of God. He's reading his Bible. You'd never know it by talking to him. Right? They always have a Bible. You don't have to bring your Bible. Don't. Panda words that. No, no. Okay, take it or leave it. I think it's a marvelous way of doing it. My elders are still wondering why I bother because they're going, yeah, I can see them already going, nah, okay. How would you minister to the unchurched? Is that going to be different? Potentially, it could be. You may need to come up beside an unchurched member in a different way than you come up beside a church member. Do you know how to do that? Because... If you're going to engage the community as a, a missional church, in quotation marks, we're all missional churches, then how does that look? 
Do we have policies? Do we have rules? Not rules. I'd like the word guidelines better. Do we have certain guidelines that we, we go by that uh, tell us how we would minister to somebody who's never been inside of a church or has been in church forever? Will that be different than, you know, widow Bransma or whatever her last name might be? who you've been engaging for the last 10 or 12 or 15 or who knows how many years as a viable or as a, a solid member of our congregation who, who's, who's maybe getting help. So that's going to be change. You're going to have a different approach. What will that look like? Again, we're talking about practica. Congregational. On the, uh, here's a big one. The percentage number of church families that follow a tithing pattern is. Do we know? In other places, doing stewardship seminars, I've submitted to you that 80-20 rule is very operative in the churches. 80% do almost nothing, 20% do almost everything. It, it ties to, to giving as well. And so the deacons may want to put forward a number of this a, 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 a decent participation financially is X. It's not 200 bucks. This family has an earning potential of X. We're going to do that. Or we're going to look at the membership and we're going to find out that 50% of our congregation isn't engaged. They're not engaged financially. And they're not engaged when it comes to doing the work around the church. How do we change that? Because that's a 50% of our congregation that has a resource. We're in charge of those resources. Uh, you, may, you might need to take uh, and give lessons. I've seen Deacon... Uh, uh, boards who have actually undertaken taken a teaching uh, time. So they put on a Larry Burkett seminar or they uh, do a, today it's Dave Ramsey or, or some such thing. There are perhaps more Christian approaches sometimes to that. But basically something that, how do we teach our congregation to give? Because the percentage of them is, is, is not very high. It's the same thing as in many churches, you'll see the same ladies who are in the kitchen, who are cleaning, who are doing this and doing that and doing that, and the rest of them aren't, are nowhere to be found. How do we engage that other part? Those are resources that need to be engaged in some fashion. It's the deacon's job. And, and if you go to a family and say, you know what, family so-and-so, we've come to visit you because uh, we notice that you're not participating financially or in any other way that we can tell in the congregation. And they say, no, 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 no. Oh, then you say, and you go to them and you say, you must have a need. Right? I mean, if, if, if their contribution to the church is zero, they must possibly have a need. And they go, oh, no, 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 we don't have a need. Well, then you must have a spiritual problem. I'll send the elders. But that's originally, or, or at, its, at its fundamental basis, perhaps a job that deacons need to be training up in order to be able to do. And it's not easy. But let us teach you how to do this. Well, you know, there's never enough money to go around. Well, let me teach you how that can be. There's, I have no time. Let me teach you how to give time. I have, my talents are all distributed elsewhere. Let me teach you how those talents can be pulled into the church so that you can be participant in this life of this congregation in a better and more wholesome way to the glory of God. So the percentage number of church families that follow a tithing pattern take that past financial to time treasure and talent. Those three are all to be tithed in a certain way. These people are spending no time in the church. Well, teach them how. Give them opportunity. Ask them. Many people need to be asked. 
volunteer thing doesn't work very well in the bulletin anymore. We need volunteers. Nobody, nobody volunteers. But when you ask people, generally speaking, they'll step to the plate. Congregational. This is not what you want. Okay, other percentage of members that give nothing or well below expectation. I've kind of dealt with that. But again, is who are the ones that are participating? Who are the ones that are not? And is there work here? And who's going to do the work? The minister going to be preaching into this? Is the, are the elders going to be mobilized into this? Or is the deacon going to do it? And, and at least at a very minimum, you might be telling the elders, look, folks, we have a problem. 60% of our congregation does nothing. How is this helpful for the body of Christ? How do we make that 50%? If you have 60% doing nothing, you're actually doing pretty well. Right? Because 80-20 is more than enough. And if you look at your, if you know, if you ever get your financial, your, your treasurer to look up, or the deacon who's in charge of that to look at your finances, you'll actually notice that that's kind of the numbers. Of course, not in this church. Every other church. Okay, well, percentage, I've been a treasurer, I, so I've, I can say that with some authority, I've been a treasurer in two different churches and two different denominations, and it held true there. And one was somewhat on the liberal side, some, one was on the very conservative side, and it still held true. So, it's a concern. I'll come back to it. Uh, uh, I was asked to deal with the token system, right? Uh, uh, Julius, I think somebody sent me a note saying, can you talk about the token system, so I'll do that in a bit. But it, it boils into this. Here's the question, deacons. How do you teach your children to give paper money and not the 50 cent or the, the loony that was laying on their dresser, which is God of leftovers? Do you know what I'm saying? Right? I go to church. I take my change. I put it in my pocket. I give it to my kids. A quarter here and a quarter there and a loony there. And I've just taught my children that God's a God of leftovers. You better read Malachi about that one. All right? How do I teach my children, how do I teach the people of this congregation that it's paper money we're after? Why paper money? Because that demonstrates at least some heart of generosity. Get past the uh, tokenism, the leftover business, and into not making it hurt, but it might, might hurt. Giving until it hurts. Larry Burkett said that. Others have too. I'm not going there. That's for a different time. But this makes a point. All right. Congregational. In the congregation, the person to contact in the case of a family needing meals is. Now, that may not be the deacon, but the deacon ought to be charged with that. So they may be going to their wives. They may be going to the ladies' aid or society. They may be going to others who are more capable of doing this type of work. And, but they're going to make sure that it happens. Why? Because they're the supervisors, remember? Again, that can be delegated to some extent, but they are the supervisors. How do we supervise this? Do we have a person to contact in case of a family needing meals? Makes your work way easier than having to get on the phone and try to figure it out. We have this in place. We've appointed somebody. We've asked somebody to take care of it. Or a group of ladies, presumably ladies, who are going to take care of it. Could be that you cater. Maybe you don't even send meals. Uh, you know, uh, more, more recently, don't send meals, you know. Send them, you know, something catered right to their front door. What would you like to eat today? It'll be there in 20 minutes, straight to your door, all right? No more casseroles. 
I leave it there. I'm not judgmental. <laughs> All right? But you know what? You can send Chinese food. Cost you 50 bucks. So what? Use God's money for that. Congregational. I know most of the widows in the congregation. It's not just for the pastor to know them. The deacons need to know them. They're there to serve tables because of the poor. The, the, the widows, remember Acts 6? You got to know who they are. Do they have needs? Some of them don't have needs. They get around fine. Thank you very much. They have a car. They drive. You can never get a hold of them. They don't have that. But some of them do. Are you Johnny on the spot? And what are their needs? In a, lot of, I, in a larger congregation, I've had the experience of coming as a minister to visit widows, finding out these ladies have needs that nobody actually knows about. They can't afford to stay in the rest care home they're in. Who's going to talk to them? Who's going to deal with this? Or they can't afford the medication they're on, or whatever the case. They can't afford to get a wheelchair and the, the wheel's falling off the old one, or whatever the case might be. These are all deacon issues to be worked out. So acknowledge who they are. I know which one of them are not being supported by their own family needs. Again, that's part of the whole picture of knowing whether they actually have needs or not. But you need to have some understanding of that. And all I'm trying to do is ramp up, if it's not already there, ramp up this idea that we as deacons have significant, somber responsibility within the Church of Christ. I can give a short explanation as to what biblical stewardship is and the implication it places on members of the church. I just gave you a little spiel, all right? But there's how do, what does stewardship actually need to look like, especially in today's age? It's not unheard of that families in our congregations are making $100,000, $300,000 a year. They're living in multi-million dollar homes. They have the, the resource, financial resources are all there. Are we tapping into that? Ought we to tap into that? If so, how? Or why not? These are all things to be thinking about, contemplating, depending upon the resources that you're in. A country church might be different. Why is it, so I'm a financial guy by, by, by trade originally. Why is it that within churches, there is uh, almost no estate planning that involves the church? How many people have died in my lifetime who gave money to the church? of any significant amount in their will. I can count them on one hand. That's a sad testimony where we've got multi-million dollar estates, zero to the church. What is that? Well, lack of teaching for one. How do we circumvent that? I'm off on a tangent here, so let me get back to what I'm trying. But I'm doing, what is, what is it that biblical stewardship requires of us, and the deacons are the ones to be articulating that? Now, if you don't know how to do it, get somebody in who does. To light up your congregation to, to, to works of mercy that they can be involved in. Because you don't have to necessarily do it all, but you have to mobilize those who can. Again, you're supervising. That doesn't mean you have to do everything or know everything. List some of the resources available in the church community for the ministry of mercy. This may go past your church. I have been called by elders and by deacons on times to go sit down with somebody who had a significant financial problem. They're ready to go bankrupt. You know, sometimes you just can't help it. They're too far gone. They're like dead. But sometimes there's a way to fix it. Get the experts, whoever those might be in our community, to help. You don't have to do everything, but you have to know where to find help. The elder, we just heard it from Reverend Slump, the elder or the minister is not necessarily going to be the counselor. 
You may get counseling from somewhere else. Get an expert. Well, the same thing applies in the deaconate. Who are those people out there? When do we source them? How do we source them? What is it that they can help us do? All again to build up this community of Christ so that the church becomes a vibrant church and the deaconate becomes robust. Okay? The Reformed Church, name some missions, for instance. Uh, this is within the church context of the denomination, perhaps. Name some mission causes supported by your church federation. You know, it'd be interesting to ask the deacons, well, which ones are you supporting? Well, I have to go look at the list that's on the, on the church wall in the, de in, in, in the consistory room. Otherwise, I don't know. Right? You may, in visits, want to encourage a specific type of, of, of ministry to, to your congregants to, to have them participate financially. So what are the mission causes? I can explain to the members some of the details concerning these causes. Who are our missionaries? Why are we giving a portion of our, 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 our contributions to that specific cause? When's the last time, for instance, that you read the financial statement of that particular cause to determine whether or not this is a legitimate need? Well, we don't know how to read financial statement. Well, get somebody who can. That's okay. You don't need all to be financial experts, but you need to be able to source and know that you're doing a responsible job. So I can explain to the members some of the details concerning these causes. We're giving to missionary so-and-so, and he's doing these kinds of things. Because that shows that we made a decision concerning this particular missionary, and he is legitimately in need of our support, as opposed to umpteen different causes which came in the mail and they went in the round file happens, right? Taken for information, which means, I'm sorry, you know, this is recorded. They're not going to get parts of this, will they? All right, so community, who are the relief agencies in our community that we should know of? It was a question that I was asked to address. Uh, who are those people? We are only solely going to be located within the church walls. That's a decision deacons can make. But that doesn't do anything for the community out there. Well, we don't have to do it. We don't have a responsibility there. All right. We, might, we want to work that out. So who are those relief agencies in our community that we should know of? Well, they're not reformed, you know. Well, are they Christian? We have the Salvation Army. We have Rehoboth. We have Hope Mission, Samaritan's Purse. That's out of the Billy Graham organization. The Mustard Seed does stuff for people on the street. Here's the problem. Somebody comes to your door, walk, drives in, sees all these cars here, and says, I'm out of gas, and I'm trying to get to Jasper. Are we going to give them money for gas? Or are we going to see you later, buddy, get lost? Or is there another option? And the other option might be, we don't know whether this person went to that church, that church, that church, that church, and he's doing this on a regular basis. We don't know that. So we've got to find a resource that helps us to come to understand how we deal with people who could be dangerous to themselves. We give them 100 bucks, they're going to drink it. If we give them a ride, they could hold a knife to our throat. Who knows what? So we, we, we're naive sometimes in these things, and who do we get to help us with that? Well, Salvation Army has a, a marvelous network of figuring out who the, who the abusers of the system are and who the legitimate need persons are. Mustard Seed does as well. Rehoboth has a different kind of ministry again. 
What are those ministries? Are we going to participate in this as a part of our mission outreach? Because these people are Christian. They may not hold to the, to the three forms of unity. They may not be exactly in line with what we are doing, but they are doing this work in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can help them, and they can help us. In the church where I was a member, we one year had a donation. It came through, and we gave it to the Salvation Army. I remember taking the deacons on a tour of the Salvation Army. They didn't have a clue what they were up to. Hmm? Five minutes? Three minutes? Okay, I'm, I'm almost done. So, but the point is, 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 you as deacons, go find out who these people are. Take a tour. You'd be amazed at what the Salvation Army is doing right in your own backyard for the underprivileged whom we never see. What about the guy who shows up in your bathroom and all you see is his old socks under the door. He's sitting on the, on because he doesn't want to dare to get out and he, and he, and he doesn't have shoes anymore because he walked in. All right, what are you going to do with this guy? Something going to take him home? Or are you going to pass him on to a ministry who knows how to deal with that kind of stuff? You may want to have that acquaintance. That's right within your, these are all in Edmonton. Community. Who are the relief agencies in my community that we should know of? We actually touched base with them, and they have a need. We have a need. We can help each other. We'll give you some money, and you in turn take care of the problem that we aren't able to deal with because we don't have that kind of talent. Okay? Practica. Personal. I know how to balance my checkbook, and I can give some basic pointers on budgeting. If you don't know how to do that as a deacon, learn. It's not very hard. Right? Pretty tough to be educating somebody else on how to do their budget if you don't know how to do one yourself. Right? That's like saying, that's like, that's like the adulterer telling somebody else not to commit adultery when you're doing it yourself. It's like, that's hypocritical. And they're not the same thing. Of course, you know that. Yeah. I told one of my elders, uh, tell, let me know how well I did after. If I'm being run out on a rail, I'll know. As, may, as I may be required to help financially strapped family of persons, I understand that this means that my own house needs to be in order, right? And that may require us to do some work. It's no different than the spiritual guidance that we get from elders. Elders need to have their house in order. That's a listing in, in, in the Bible. Ministers, you expect the same thing from, that they have their own house in order. That they, you know, if the minister is getting divorced, it's probably not a good idea to put them on the pulpit. Okay? Personal, I'm continuing in prayer with respect to the duties imposed upon me by my Lord. That is foundational. And in our busy society, I'll be the first to admit, it's one of those things that can go by the wayside so very quickly. Because the tyranny of the urgent is upon us the moment we get up in the morning. And, and remember, and remember that in this ministry, that we are not above them. This office does not put us above people in a particular way. You are broken, I am broken, they are broken. There but for the grace of God go I. And I don't ever, I heard it once, I don't ever really want to hear it again, where I talked to some eld deacon about a person who was in, in, in need, and he says something to the effect of, oh, Johnny's been at it again, I guess we'll have to go over there and figure it out. Bad boy. Which was sort of a very superior you know, this man had a significant problem. And the deacon took, took the attitude of, yeah, well, you know, same old, same old. There but for the grace of God go you. And it, unless sin is same old, same old, which it's not. And so these are things to keep in mind. I think I've come to the last. 
there you go, uh, resources. This is the last of, of, if you are to go and study. This should be in your church library, if not in your personal library. And these are just some of them. Uh, Reverend Van Dam, of course, wrote this marvelous book on the deacon. Uh, Timothy Keller does good work. The Ministry of Mercy for today is P.Y. DeYoung's book. It's quite old already and dated, but biblically sound. And then the deacon's handbook is, 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 goes back to the dark ages almost. But the point is, is that one. That one actually is very helpful because, you know, the, the situation changes, but the foundations don't. And so the way to think about how to be a deacon is, is well laid out. Uh, the deacon, it's a hard book to come by, but it's in print again. And one sh I, I think they're on the, 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 uh, uh, the, the consistory tables from time to time. I want you to point to, to the top one. It's in blue, actually. And that's uh, the diaconia, diaconia is now in a publication that's, I think, about 25 years old. Uh, it's about 14 bucks to, to subscribe to, and you can, you can get all 25 years' worth of editions. Every so once in a while, you'll see them on consistory room tables when I visit. You can get the whole works here, and there's some really, really fine stuff in here that's very practical. Some of it's kind of highfalutin theological, especially more lately, but the, the, the deacon handbook that's being put together, the elder's handbook that's in there, very, very good stuff. Uh, Dr. Fisher has been involved with that almost since its inception. And, and between him and I think it's Reverend uh, Lawrence Wil Bilks, uh, they put together some really, really good stuff over the years. Good to go with. All right? And then the URC, an A has a document online, also a deacon statement, and that was done when we first started. So that, that is, I think, all I have. There you go. That's it. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Um, excellent practical advice. You can stay up here. All right, there's a question uh, that's come in already from the text. Uh, just uh, maybe if you can continue. Uh, practical ways that deacons get, get to know the needs of the congregation. Uh, going on family visit with, with elders, is that appropriate? Uh, should they do their own regular visits with all the members of the congregation? Should the elders ask deacons questions on their visits and send the deacons after if they're needed, or are there better ways? So the, the main question, um, are the, what's a good way to get to know the needs of the congregation? And then if I could at the same time uh, practically ask, or connected to that, is how, how to then get the congregation involved. Is that, um, especially with difficult financial situations, um, how much does the congregation need to know My first answer is yes to all of, all of the above. In other words, whether it's deacon and elder visits uh, together, that may be appropriate. In, uh, certainly in our congregation, we have, a, we have a, a limited number of office bearers, and if a deacon were to go along, I certainly wouldn't have any objection to that, and I don't know that there's a biblical reason not to. There may be uh, reasons where that overlaps. There are some overlapping areas. Uh, I would say whatever works in your congregation, it shouldn't be, I, I trust that we're not going to impose rules that limit the work of either the elder or the deacon. So they may need to go in, because it could be both a combination of a financial and a spiritual matter. I addressed partly the aspect of go and get uh, 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 other help. In other words, uh, surround yourself with good counselors. And so if it's a financial issue, you would perhaps engage people who are perhaps not even members of your community, but who are familiar with that kind of work. So you don't, 
today I can counsel, I can get a counselor in, in Seattle to deal with one of my constituents or one of my members. They Skype. I can get a financial guy from Detroit. Well, don't get a U.S. guy. From Ontario, I, all right, to, to, to help in, in, in the finance. Uh, no offense to the U.S. guys, but, but, but it, it applies. So I'm going to get a financial guy to give help here. Uh, we are going to mount a course because it's going to take us two or three years to ramp up the knowledge and the ability, and, and we're going to start with the, gener with, with the young. Right? We're going to talk to our, con uh, our uh, young people as they do profession of faith. What does it take for you to be a vibrant member of the congregation? You're not being taught to tithe at home. You may not be taught to tithe in school. We're going to teach you to do that as elders because we have that expectation of you. You have, a you have a viable job. Why don't we see any participation on your part? Right? Tax-deductible donation receipts go out. Oh, yeah, I just give cash. No, you don't. Because we don't see $100 bills. Well, you will after we teach them to give paper money, right? But the token, to, and let me deal with that token system just for a second. Token system is something where you give uh, a check to the church, say for 1000 bucks, and you get $110 business cards, right? And you give them to your kids and your family, and you put them in various collections. And those collections then are counted as being part of that fund, or part of that fund goes into that collection. But the person who gave the check gets a $1,000 tax deductible donation receipt. If you're using tokens, don't start off with $1 denominations. Because we don't want your loonies, remember? Right? And that's a whole different story. That's for another time. But the point is simply that we teach our people stewardship from the ground up. Whether that be in school, whether that be in catechism, whether that be in young peoples, and we teach our, our, our membership. You may, you may want to pull somebody in like that and make sure certain members of your congregation are in attendance because they need to hear this. I'm, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. Yeah, that's why I'm interrupting you. <laughs> <laughs> so an, a, another question for... Uh, uh, especially for the deacons. I have a few for the uh, elder question as well. Uh, your, uh, the presupposition is that the deacons are seeing all the church contribution information of the members uh, and is working with the treasurer. If that's not the case, should that be uh, a practice that should change if the deacons aren't seeing? And then, well, I can save the next question. There's another one coming. Uh, this supposition is correct. In other words, this falls under the purview of the deacons. If it's being taken away by the eldership, and the deacons need to bring it back. That's what I'm encouraging the deacons here to do. I'm encouraging the elders to give it up. You have other work to do. If How is that deacon going to be able to do that list of work, things that I just des described competently if you withhold from him the very nature information that he needs in order to do his job well? You don't even, you don't know what those resources are. You don't know who is participating. You don't know who isn't. You don't know who to lean on in a, in a Christian way, all right? And you don't know who to appreciate, and that's not appreciate, but in, in the sense of, oh, thank you, but that might be in the sense of, I know exactly who I can go to with this kind of thing, because this person is very gifted at dealing with this kind of a situation. Or we have a financial need, and I can go to two or three people and solve that problem by having a chat with them and taking them for lunch. How will the deacon know? And I would ask this, you know, if that's not happening, what is the deacon actually doing? 
Very good, thank you. And I think uh, you made reference to those 10 points so you can get a hold of the Joint Church Order, Article 15. It's online, so it's good maybe to, as deacons and elders, go through that list and, and note the distinctions. Another question, how can you help people who seem unwilling to help themselves? Yeah, that's, uh, that's difficult. Um, I think that that lies in the same plane as the people who are weak Christians. At some point in time, we are all victims of our own circumstances, and if we want to lay in our own mud, uh, then uh, nobody, at some point, you can't help people. But we can try, we can encourage, we can admonish, we can, we can uh, commend them to the Lord. We can, there are different, you know, there are a, a, a number of steps and things that we can do that elevate uh, our concern for them, show these people that we're extremely concerned for them, and, and articulate that. A lot of times we just, well, yeah, there's, you know, and we leave them. No, we need to encourage them. And that may, that may mean that we sit down, maybe as deacons we buy a guy a cup of coffee and just say, hey, how are things? Can we help you? Because you're having problems, aren't you? You're not happy. We think we can help you in certain ways. Maybe the elder and the deacon go together so the spiritual and the, and the resource thing overlap. Because usually it is a financial, if it's a financial problem, it almost always is a spiritual problem too. Thank you. Uh, I think uh, there's a question here about acknowledging the different roles of elders and deacons without putting one over the other. Uh, and and I, I would say your presentation uh, answered that. This did come quite early in your presentation and I would judge that you've answered that uh, uh, very well. I'll take uh, one or two questions from the floor for uh, Reverend Vanderward, and then I'd like to just pass on two for Reverend Slump. Is there anyone else who would like to ask a question from Reverend Vanderward? You can answer now. All right, he's a straight shooter, right? And uh, <laughs> just kidding. A good one, because you said what I agree with. So no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great qualification. I'm going to ask Reverend Slump to come forward uh, as well. Um, I didn't send these questions to him ahead of time. Just want to work out a little bit further uh, the question of uh, divorce. And uh, sometime, uh, so a, um, a pastor recommended divorce in an addiction case. <clears throat> Is there ever a scriptural basis or rationale for this? And then connected to that, uh, and probably the first question that... Yeah, so uh, if there's ever a biblical rationale for recommending divorce in the case of addiction. Um, and then uh, before that is, is maybe even the question of, like, you see struggles like 10 years. You see them coming as office bearers. Uh, and uh, how to manage, address marital strains before they become a discipline or withdrawal case. Uh, good ways to address problems ahead of time, especially with respect to addiction and marital problems. Um, addictions, is that uh, a reason for um, allowing divorce, that's right, eh? the first one. Uh, the Bible 
does not, it only gives um, sexual immorality, adultery, and also abandonment, although some would dis dispute that, but I think within Reformed theology that, that, is, uh, that is accepted, 1 Corinthians 7. Um, so, but when you're dealing with addiction, there can become abandonment, okay? And that sometimes is the case. Um, so then, then there would be divorce. Um, those are very difficult situations to, to deal with, but you have to give your addicted partner every chance to, to overcome that and also to be, to be patient. But, you know, like I say, the time may come where the person is not able to overcome the addiction, and when it, is, when it comes to that point, they usually have abandoned their family anyway. It's come to that point. Um, I don't know, maybe somebody wants to add to that, something I'm not thinking of, but I think that's the approach I would take, yeah. So the second question is, do you see symptoms yeah. of potential Be beforehand. relationship? So is this then for an elder? I would imagine that, that, that for an elder, that an elder sees something and, and he has a family. It all depends how you, how you get to know um, such a case and, and to what extent of a relationship do you have uh, with them. So you would, you would, you would need to be aware of the, of the situation and, and, and how you can help. Um, I, I don't think it's a good idea to say, hey, you know, I think you guys got a problem, so I, I want to talk to you about your problem. Uh, that's not going to help because they may not realize that this is a serious problem, and you may not know whether or not it is a serious problem. You know, um, sometimes if I'm bickering with my wife and somebody just hears that, it doesn't happen too often, that's usually me with her and not the other way around. But anyway, you may say, oh, they got problems. Well, you know, we love each other to pieces. We, and, Marriage for 45 years and <laughs> even then. So you may jump to conclusions. So you gotta be sure that you know what you're talking about. And even then, you've gotta be very careful because in situations like that, those are very um, sensitive situations, right? And uh, so yeah, be careful to make conclusions beforehand. But otherwise, you can't make any kind of changes anywhere unless you have a relationship with somebody. So there's got to be a relationship of some kind. And then you may be able to, 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 uh, to, to, to help. And even then, you know, that's not going to be easy either. That, okay. that was my question, Reverend. So yep. where I was going with this is often we're sitting in a consistent room saying, man, 10 years ago it would be good to be involved in this. And often, or I've come across it, that you're seeing the symptoms in advance, but you're not in a position to get involved. Like, and I recognize you really need to be in a relationship to do that, but sometimes they don't want to be in a relationship. And it, like, you're seeing the headlights coming at you yeah. for, for, for a long time, right. and you know where it's going, and it just hurts to watch it and not be able to get involved. I know, and I know of cases myself that, that had to deal, and I just knew this is going to, this is going to end in disaster. And, 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 and there's, because, and then, but they shut you out. That's what they do. You know, I had a case uh, where somebody was always on the internet with, with another person, and uh, 
My wife and I, we tried to visit. They had a, an anniversary. They wouldn't even have us for that. They just totally left because they did not want any interference, okay? Because there's so many things that is going on in order to um, correct the problem. And so it, it's, those are difficult things. But look for opportunities. Look for ways of, of having a relationship with them. You know, if it isn't a formal thing, sitting down, you know, go and uh, do something with them. I don't know. Invite them over to go to a concert or something. I don't know. So that you can have a relationship. So, yeah. Okay. Good. Thank you very much. That answers the two questions on there. We're also coming close to the, right. the end of the time. Uh, so thank you very much. Okay. Unless you had some final comments. No, no, I'm good. No, thank you. Well, I, I, I will not let you say that. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> My colleagues already said it, but it really appreciated that uh, you uh, organized it. You got the churches going, and uh, it seems to be a talent that you have is to get all these churches and to get them involved in the conference like this. You've done it more. So appreciate that. I think it's good. It's good to get to know each other this way and to have this kind of uh, this kind of discussion. So thank you very much. Okay. So we. Did you hear what he said at the end? He said, "And thank you all for coming, in spite of the weather. It's foggy uh, out there. I almost didn't make it from my house here. I <laughs> kept walking into the same tree. I couldn't figure it out." <laughs> No, it's very, uh, very much appreciated to see the support. It's encouraging because it makes us realize this is good. Uh, when we don't have lifetime elders, we always have new elders, new deacons uh, coming in, and sometimes we sort of figure it out a little bit, and we, we get into our, our way of doing the work as an elder or a deacon, uh, minister as well. And then when we have fellowship together and we look at it and we, we listen to each other's stories, uh, we realize you can be an elder or a deacon or a minister for a long time, and, and you, you, there's so much uh, that can be improved or changed or looked at for a second time that, you know, you're using a strategy that doesn't, doesn't work in today's society. So that uh, it's very important to have these ongoing conferences. Uh, and also it's always important to remember there's often uh, men who are called to office. There's always new people coming in, if I could put it that way, and I think as churches, we owe it to one another to uh, keep, sometimes we repeat, uh, the, it seems like it's rep repetitive, but it's new to somebody, it's new to, to uh, a lot of us. So I really appreciate the support that was shown. It's encouraging for us as churches and as leaders uh, to continue to uh, have regular uh, gatherings to, to meet together to talk about the office. I also really appreciate uh, the, the wives, the young people that came uh, last night as well. I think that's a very important thing to understand. The, um, these are tough questions. Uh, we can't do it just as men. Uh, we need the involvement of wives and women. Um, the one I lay my head on at night weeping is uh, here this, this, uh, this, this today, so that's very nice. Um, so she, now she understands why I'm weeping sometimes, maybe. Um, I yeah, I, I'm not complaining. I don't actually weep that much. So. <clears throat> I don't want to sound like a whiner. 
<laughs> yes. I'm going to answer that just because we're getting near to the end. And, and I think I would represent uh, the other pastors here uh, in saying that you're right, uh, that uh, single members are uh, fully capable of serving in the offices of minister, elder, and deacon. And in fact, important contributions to the well being of a congregation. Uh, and I think so. It, it's good that you point that out. That that husband of one wife, uh, it, correctly, you've identified it. Not a husband of two or three wives. Uh, and then the uh, there there is a question of the age. The the singleness is one part of the question, and the age is a second uh, part of the same question. And and I think there we would be um, looking at the qualifications and the wisdom, the understanding and experience and, and what that means. And, and again, that's not necessarily connected to age, um, but it's, it's often is. So maybe the solution would be in these cases to draw attention to that if it's a consistent problem. But thank you for bringing it up now. I think it's a very worthwhile comment and consideration. Uh, there's lots of questions, lots of thoughts. I, I think we've learned a lot. Um, but the more you learn, the more you're like, okay, now what is this going to look like? Or how are we going to do this in our congregation? And that's why we should have another uh, Office Bearers Conference. Um, I think it, at least an annual uh, thing should be the goal. Maybe we as uh, consistories or, or as pastors can even discuss what that might look like. Um, but uh, that's not going to happen now. And we're also not going to continue this uh, conference anymore. So I would like to bring it to a close uh, at this time. Thank uh, the speakers very, very much for the time invested in preparing and for coming. Uh, the speeches are all recorded, so if you'd like to work through and maybe as a deacon group and just take uh, the, are we doing this, how are we doing on this, and just follow those, the, the practica, which is not an English word, is it? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, it's like practice, yeah, <laughs> just change the E for an A, and you look academic, <laughs> sorry. 
can't resist teasing people and it's, it's bad when I have a microphone, so we're going to stop. <clears throat> I'm going to read Psalm 100 and then we're going to sing Psalm 100 and then we will, uh, I'll close in prayer and we can be on our way. It's going to be a different order. I'm going to read Psalm 100, I'm going to close in prayer and then we'll sing Psalm 100. Psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Almighty God and Father, we praise your holy name. We thank you that we may read the words in black and white, that you are God, our covenant Lord, Father. We thank you that we may celebrate that you have made us, and that we are yours, we belong to you. We praise you, O Lord, that we may have the picture of being sheep, having you as our shepherd. And we pray, O Lord, that you will continue to hold us by our hand, to guide us, to lead us to glory. And as we think about the task and calling that we have in this world, in our work and in our relationships and in our worship, and how we often stumble and fall, even close our eyes to the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. We praise you that you have shown your love and care to us by allowing us to be members of a congregation where there are ministers, elders, and deacons who care for us, who love us, who seek to reflect the love of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to do this task as office bearers to the best of our ability. We want to be faithful. We want to be effective and useful. And we ask, Lord, that you will grant us this courage, the strength to do that. Help us, Lord, in our study of your word, our personal spiritual growth, our prayers to you. Help us in our relationships to those around us, whether as brothers and sisters in Christ and the congregation, also our relationships to wives, to husbands, to children, Lord, we want to grow in faith, we want to grow in experience, and we ask that you will lead us in this growth. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the hours, of, the hours that are invested as men and women that you have called to serve in the churches, continue to give their lives their love for you and their love for your people. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you will 
be with us as we go from here this afternoon, that we may go encouraged, that we may go thoughtful, and also thinking about how we manage our tasks, especially in special offices, and we pray that we may also go rejoicing, rejoicing in you, rejoicing in Jesus Christ. And we thank you, O Lord, that we may celebrate your goodness. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in the pew in front of you, there's a book of praise. Looks like that. And we'll sing Psalm 100. You could, if you're able to stand.